I love that we're in this series called Essential Church, and if you're joining us for the first time online, we've been in a series called Essential Church, and we've been talking about this idea of sonship, and it feels really real to me, partly because I've just recently become a father. Uh, I love it. Highlight reel into our lives a little bit here. Uh, my daughter, Indy, she's actually over here this service, and my wife, Elise. Um, Indy is sitting up on her own and starting to eat real food, and she's giggling, and all of these things are so fun and new for the first time. And uh, you know what I love is that you don't realize how little you appreciate food until you see it through the eyes of a baby who's experiencing it for the first time. You know what I'm talking about? When Indy first tried banana, it was like at first it's like, whoa, I don't know if I like it. Oh, I love that. That's sugar, right? Like all of a sudden is this real feeling and uh, it's just so awesome to see her just growing and, and loving those things. Uh, she's pretty easygoing. She prefers doing whatever we're doing, mostly because she's five months old and uh, doesn't have a choice. She's stuck to us anyways, um, but she's ridiculously calm and even-tempered, uh, loves anyone who will hold her and make her laugh, and she has a wait list for babysitting longer than my personal email list, uh, so if you'd like to be added to that, you can see my wife after the service, but she's got it so good. She's got it so good. I've recognized that um, being a father and cultivating a family isn't all that easy. What I mean is that it doesn't necessarily come naturally. Uh, if you think about it, whether you're a parent or not, it's true in our lives that we often start things before we really have the whole picture, before we really know everything that we need to know. At the very least, we're likely to learn along the way, but it's, it's easy to start things without the full picture. It's easy to start things without, without the full idea of how to succeed. And I'll be honest with you, when it comes to parenting, there are times where I feel absolutely lost, totally lost. For example, Elise was going to be tied up on one weekend afternoon and, asked, uh, and I asked her if she needed me to babysit. And she looked at me and said, you mean parent? <laughs> and I, I said to her, yeah, that's what I meant. <laughs> I meant parenting, right. It's not babysitting when it's your own kid, it's parenting, right? It's just these things that happen all of a sudden and you realize, man, I got that so wrong. I can't take that back, I'm so sorry, right? Um, but as I look at my daughter, there's part of me that doesn't really understand how I'm supposed to do this. Every manual I read is incomplete and inconclusive, right? It doesn't answer everything. Every video ends in a subscription that says, buy now, part two, three, four, 12, right? Bottom line, I don't have the full picture. And maybe you're here or you're watching online and you have teenagers. And I just wanna say on behalf of teenagers, I was one, a teenager, I'm sorry. I'm really sorry. And now, teenagers, I'm not raining on your parade, okay? You're good people. Um, but parents, I'm sorry if it's difficult, if you're feeling a difficulty in raising your teenagers right now and really connecting to their heart. Teenagers, for you that might be in the room or, or watching online, it gets better, okay? They're not, they're not missing you on purpose. It's not, they're not trying to ignore your feelings and your emotions. It gets better, okay? There's an overall completeness that comes as we start to see the whole picture, and, um, you know, the truth is, is that whether or not you're a parent, we can all look at our parents or even other families around us and recognize that it's not easy. It's not easy. And uh, I'm so glad that I have so many good examples of godly fathers and godly men, uh, husbands around me, and it makes an impact on how I live my life. I believe that as a result of those good examples in my life, I'm in my Bible more. 
I'm on my knees praying more, and I'm really trying to figure this out. So this morning is going to look a little bit different. I'm going to share some of my story with you today, and I hope that that's okay. But this, this, the format of this morning's message is going to look a little different. Last week, Pastor Greg shared that we are accepted, significant, and secure. And I've titled today's message, Building on Last Week, Sonship Secured. Let's pray together. Father, we come to you this morning, and we just ask, God, for you to just lead and guide us, God. Just reveal your goodness to us, God, we pray. Reveal to us, God, the, the roles as sons and daughters that we're to take as sons and daughters of the King. God, speak to us today, we pray. Amen. Amen. You never imagine that the time you say goodbye to someone leaving your home or a family member walking out the door might be the last time you see them. Other than maybe walking through someone passing away that's close to you and and physically being able to be in the room and experience that loss, you never see someone leave your home or your parent or your child and expect that that's the last time that you'll get to hug them or even the last time that you'll get to tell them how you feel. My dad worked as a paramedic for many years in Calgary, and uh, this is where I grew up. And I don't remember much of this time, but I do remember that he was an extremely caring and loving father. He spent time with my brother and I, created memories together that I'll never forget. He was really involved. For those of you who don't know, I am a twin, and uh, my brother is, is the one on the left there wearing a helmet. Um, Adam, I know you're watching right now. I have no idea why you're wearing a helmet. Uh, We were about to go boating. Um, I'm not sure what's going on there. Maybe you can text me later and let me know. But uh, my dad was great at building memories with us and making memories with us and, and enjoying those times and being present and being involved. You know, and as much as the outward representation of his fatherhood seemed good, and it certainly felt good, The older that I got, the more that I started to realize and see signs and indications of a deeper level of pain and struggle. He was wrestling with the enemy that was rooted in unfaithfulness, and I started to see how it was affecting our family, my mom, and my relationship with him. I was 14 years old, and I remember the smells and sounds in the house. My mom was in her room, Adam in his room, me in mine. Adam came to join me, and we sat on the edge of my bed as we heard muffled sounds of calm discussion behind the door of my mom's room. See, my dad for many years had worked as a paramedic and then transitioned into oil and gas, and so this took him away for a month at a time, six months of the year. He was home every other month, or at the very least should have been. And there were times in the recent past that he was starting to come home less and less one month would turn into a month and a half, and then turn into a month and three quarters, and then turn into two months. We weren't getting the entire picture. Do you know what it's like to see your hero become the villain? I thought and expected that as my father, he was always going to be there. He was always going to be there, that there was no chance that he could ever abandon us. We were his, he was mine, flesh and blood, connected, deep, emotional, permanent, permanent. Adam and I were called into my mom's room where we took turns on the phone or shared a line. I don't exactly remember that moment. But I remember hearing these words, son, I'm sorry, 
but I can't come home this time. I've made some big mistakes, and I've been repeatedly unfaithful to your mom, and I'm not sure that I'll be returning home. Some of this was verbal, and some of it he had prepared in a letter that Adam and I were able to read, and in that moment and in that time and space, everything stopped. The only thoughts that came to my mind, the only things that I could say was, Dad, no, but I love you. I don't accept this. I can't be okay with this. How? Why? If I'm really honest with you, my brother Adam had feared my dad leaving for a long time. Every time my dad would go away, my brother Adam would say to me, I don't think he's coming home. And he would get really worried. And I would always tell Adam, don't worry, Ad, it's going to be okay. Don't worry, Ad, he's coming home. Don't worry, Ad, he'll be home soon. And you know what? For most of the time, he did come home. But what did he made me do this time? He had made me a liar. He had, he had made me a liar to my brother. He had somehow forced me to give false hope to my brother. Was his sadness that he was experiencing my fault? I remember feeling sad about my dad leaving, but to be honest with you, I was more devastated at the hurt that I was witnessing in the life of my brother. I witnessed him harden and almost immediately begin building an emotional wall that he was committing to himself that he would never be hurt that way again. Listen, this happened, and we got through it. My mom, my brother, and I huddled around each other, absolutely devastated by the destructive power of sin at work and unsure of how we were going to move forward. My father had left. He had abandoned us. He had abandoned his post. The sins of my father would forever leave a mark on my life. I didn't choose that. I didn't choose that. I wasn't responsible for his sin, but yet somehow tragically devastated by it to my very core. What now? Where do you go from there at 14? It's easy to feel anxiety and confusion and frustration due to not really knowing everything that we need to know. And culture, when it speaks about fatherlessness, doesn't actually give much guidance when it comes to this. In 1950, look at the statistic, 4% of children were born outside of marriage. In 2007, that number was 40%. The statistics show that one in four people live without a biological step or adoptive father in the home. The research is overwhelming. Listen to this. It's devastating. Children growing up in father-absent homes are more likely to be poor, have behavioral problems, be convicted of a crime, suffer abuse, use drugs, or be overweight. Listen to the opposite. Children growing up in father-present homes are far more likely to get better grades, be more emotionally secure, be less sexually active, and be physically healthier. Bottom line, church, we need good fathers. We need men who are willing to embrace the long road of cultivating a family. Parents, people, we need to admit that we don't have all the answers, that we're going to make mistakes, but we need to be working toward figuring those things out and, and then doing the noble work of actually getting the, to the solution and not stopping there, but continuing to change our actions and behaviors. It's a constant cultivating action that takes place. We cannot just expect cultivation to happen without acting. We have to begin to develop and prepare the groundwork for what God has in store for us and our children, our families, our friends, your future. 
I believe that it is fundamentally important to admit and own this idea that what we experience in life can greatly impact our perception about the nature of God. When it comes to fathers, parents, the way you act, the way we experience that kind of relationship with you, often ends up dictating the starting point of our belief system around who God is as our Heavenly Father. Is it easy to leave? Is it easy to be disconnected? Because that ends up being the view that we take as children. The good news is this. Jesus showed us that we don't have to live in that tension. We don't have to live in that tension forever, that our sonship and our daughtership is secure That's amazing. See, what would happen if we begin to translate our understanding and our thinking instead of this is happening to me, but what God has already done for me that secures my identity? See, we have an inheritance, and we are secure in knowing who we are in him, and this is where we launch from this morning. So what does it mean to look at God as a father? I want to unpack five foundational truths of fatherhood but I do believe that this applies to parental units as a whole. And I can say that because I grew up in a household where it was my mom doing a lot of the work. Even to our understanding as people who are sons and daughters, some of us here don't have kids. Maybe you want kids someday. Maybe you can't even think that far ahead and and all you can process is that I am just a kid myself right now. Where we understand and identify build our identity on, allows us to then see the whole picture. So let's dive in. First foundational truth is this. The family was God's idea. We need to remember that this was God's idea. We live in a culture that sees kids and children as an annoyance, right? I have many friends who say that I never want to have kids when I, when I get older because I want to keep my freedom. I don't want to be tied down, right? All these things that I'm like, that's your own doing. That's not your kids, right? That's not your kids. We, you don't have to have kids. I don't, want, you don't, I don't want you to leave today feeling like Pastor Tyler said, I have to have kids to be happy. That's not what I'm saying. But you have to look at it through God's eyes. And you have to realize that children and kids are a blessing. They're meant to be a blessing. And, and you have to understand it from that perspective. In Genesis, we read in chapter 2, verse 24, this is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife. And they become one flesh. God created and blesses the institution of marriage. God intended men to create a a new life, a special bond with one woman and cultivate their own family. God calls children a gift in Psalm 127, three to five. Children are a heritage from the Lord, offspring, a reward from him. Like arrows in the hands of a warrior are children born in one's youth. Blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. They will not be put to shame when they contend with their opponents in court. God doesn't see children as a burden or a distraction from what's important. No, he sees them as a gift, a reward. A man who has many of them is blessed. This should energize our involvement at home as fathers. Fatherhood and parenthood isn't just some added to do on your long list of of responsibilities. It's a privilege. It's an honor. It's a gift from God. Better than this, it's a divine institution that is actually designed and blessed by God. The second foundational truth is this. Fatherhood is a God-given commission. 
God has entrusted fathers with the noble task of nurturing, guiding, and equipping for all of life's high points and all of life's low points, struggles, and demands. And this commission is taught directly or implied all throughout the Bible. In Proverbs, men are told to train and and disciple their children. In Deuteronomy, Moses tells parents to diligently teach the commands of the Lord to their sons and daughters. In Ephesians, Paul gives the following command. He says, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. First Timothy says, those who aspire to be elders of the church must manage their own family well, having children who respect and obey them. Biblical scholar Andreas Kossenberger says this, parents ought to consider themselves entrusted with the temporary responsibility and stewardship of nurturing and cultivating a child's heart and mind in light of the scriptures and on behalf of God. And while children ought to obey both parents, fathers bear special responsibility for disciplining their children. You've not only been given a gift, but a sacred post, a sacred commission. You've been commissioned to step into it. Fathering well doesn't just happen. It takes attention and it takes purpose. This leads us to our next truth, that fatherhood takes intentionality. You can't outsource parenting. You can't. Your parents won't do it for you in the long run. Your school won't do it for you in the long run. Your church won't do it for you in the long run. Good dads, parents, good parents, engage. They think. They pray. They act. They learn. Repeat. They think, they pray, they act, they learn, right? There's a series called 33, the series, and it's a great parenting resource. It has a great definition of manhood that's really built on Jesus, the perfect model of authentic manhood. It says this. It it has four different points. It talks about rejecting being passive, accepting responsibility, leading courageously, and investing eternally. We have to bring that definition of manhood into every level of intentionality, to every part of parenthood. We've bought into a lie, church, that good dads are just physically present. And the opposite, bad dads, are the ones that leave. The problem with that is, is that it's just as bad, if not worse, if you're physically present, but not actually engaged in the life of your children. If you're physically present, but not engaged in the life of your marriage. Apply that to every relationship in your life. It, it, go, it doesn't go just one way. We cannot believe that we are truly submitted to the Holy Spirit while not stepping up to the plate and owning the responsibility of being a parent. Listen, watching nothing but sports and letting your spouse do everything else, the cooking, the cleaning, the housework, making the lunches, picking up the kids, all this stuff, taking care of the children, putting them to bed, all of this stuff, does not make you a good parent does not make you a good dad. You are designed and destined for more than that. You have a greater responsibility, a greater commission. You have been commanded to step into that post, to own it, to have courage. See, good dads believe that fatherhood was God's plan, and that comes with a certain level of initiative and an ultimate view that sees your children as the best kind of eternal investment that you can make. Number four is wise folk fathers focus on the heart. It's important to focus on your own heart. It's important to focus on the heart of your kids. But let's just focus on the task of unpacking our own. We have a habit, don't we, 
of living in a me-centered world. We have a habit of looking at things through the lens of our emotions, our feelings, our needs, our desires. If we work harder, solve problems, deal with the stuff, that'll make it okay. That'll be enough for a heart connection. But author and Christian psychologist Chip Dodd says this, as men, most of us live life never fully knowing ourselves, never fully knowing others, and never fully finding the abundant life. We spend our existence toiling to make life happen, and all it gets us is a grave, a marker, and a date. Ooh, that's heavy. This leads to heart-deficient fathers, heart-deficient parents, and can be so toxic for kids, for children. My challenge today is that it is absolutely essential that our sons and daughters connect with us on a heart level. Why? Because it reflects the heart of God. At the very least, it's meant to. They, they, they need to know that we love them and that their life, their physical and emotional life, it moves us, it affects us emotionally. If we refuse to be in touch with our own hearts, how can we possibly give that to our kids? Our kids need to see us deal with our emotions in a healthy way. Anger, sadness, joy, frustration, shame. They need to see us as parents live full lives, the ups and the downs. Let me ask you this. Where are you expecting your kids to learn that from? The good and the bad lessons. Who else do you trust to take that level of care and attention raising your kids well? We must know our own hearts. There's a follow-up question to this that's kind of challenging for us as a whole is, I have to ask you this, is have you submitted your heart to God? Does your entire life reflect submission or just one part? Because the more that we submit our hearts to God, the more we begin to learn who we are actually to be. Not just in some sort of robotic nature, but actually a full understanding of the emotional depth that we're to experience and that we've been designed to have from the beginning of time. This is how we become healthy, God-centered people. I do not have this all figured out. I've been a father for five months and a week, okay? A couple weeks. <laughs> but I am a father. I am emotionally aware. I have been tragically hurt. But I've experienced this firsthand as I continue to try to hold back areas of my life it ends in heartache and pain all of the time. When I submit to him in the end and realize that the power and freedom comes in submission, not in defensiveness, there's freedom. It's easy to believe the lies about God when we see our earthly parents and fathers fail, isn't it? Super easy. For example, I believe that because my father left me, God couldn't and wouldn't fight for me. This forced me to question everything I knew about God, and not right away, over time. But the wrong beliefs done in a simple way consistently lead to massive life change in a negative way. And having a daughter has opened my eyes to this truth, that I am her father, she is mine, and I am hers. However, I love the way that my grandpa put this when he prayed over her at our, at our dedication a few weeks ago. We return her back to you, God. We commit to encouraging her to grow up in the knowledge that she is loved and has a father in God. I will fail. I am not good enough. 
I'm not even capable of living 24 hours without sinning. I'm really, really pathetic, actually. But where I find my significance and identity, how I connect to the Father heart of God and allow him to connect to me is fundamental. In order to stand here and say, regardless of what my father did, has done, or will ever do, I am not fatherless. Neither will my daughter be. Ever. See, I want her to grow up knowing that whether I'm around or not, she has a father. God is her father. Regardless of your successes as a father or as parents, your children's destiny and security is not determined to be the same set of sins and struggles that you've experienced. Our sonship, our identity is secure when we accept that we are children of God. This starts at the heart. After all, the heart is the pathway to everything. The heart is the pathway to a depth of knowledge that transforms everything. In Proverbs Proverbs 4.23, it says, Above all else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. In Luke chapter 6, verse 45, it says, The good person out of the good treasure of this heart produces good. The evil person out of his evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. A connection to our hearts must remain intact in order to be an effective parent, in order to be an effective son, in order to be an effective daughter, in order to be an effective friend, in order to be an effective spouse. Fill in the blank. You need a connection with your heart. Because that's what God designed. Finally, wise fathers are grace-dependent. Grace-dependent. Grace is really hard because it forces us to look at, like, what? We, what we have to give? No. What God already gave. What God already gave. We have to recognize that the grace of God so that it truly impacts our ability and understanding of how to parent well. Wise fathers recognize their own brokenness, yet they've placed their trust in Jesus to give them a right standing in front of the heavenly father. They believe this in Romans 3, 23 to 24, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Wise fathers know what it means to need and experience forgiveness from God. If you need grace, if you really know that you need grace, how much easier is it to give it? Many of us have stories similar to that of my relationship with my dad. It's not all that unique, sadly enough. I'm incredibly proud to say that I'm really starting to figure this out. Um, Grace is the key to everything. Not my grace, but the power of God's grace. His grace is enough for me. His grace is enough for my dad. Not just, to, just about to the top, but overflowingly enough. It's enough. It's not just shy of being enough. It is enough. It's enough. I have spent countless years of my life, years of my life, with resentment and hurt because of him. I didn't see him for about five years or so after he left, and then again for about another eight and I imagined that if I saw him again, that I would, I would do something that I, I might regret. I would want to hurt him. But you know what? All I wanted with him was a relationship. 
Regardless of what everyone told me, I could have welcomed him, welcomed him back into my life without a second thought. Because I, I think it's in our nature to want a father, to desire a relationship with a protector. We need that. It's in our makeup. It's in our design. So instead of struggling with this for my entire life, I made a choice. It's not going well on my own, God. So I'm submitting to you and to the Holy Spirit. I was on my way back to Edmonton from Calgary, uh, and I was about in Airdrie area, and my father had returned to Canada, and I had an opportunity to see him. It had been years. And I had, I had to let him know that I was passing through if I wanted to kind of arrange this meetup. Um, and I wasn't really sure if it was going to be a good idea, to be honest. I actually thought it might be easier to just say I forgot and just make my way home to Edmonton and just pretend, ah, shoot, I missed you, sorry. But God shut that idea down really fast. I texted my dad. I said, hey, I'm, I'm coming through Airdrie. I'm free if you want to meet up. Nothing. I waited. Still nothing. Forget it. Forget it. So I kept driving, probably a little faster than I should have. I was, I was mad. It was about 20 minutes past Airdrie when my phone chimed. And it was him. Hey, son, if you want to meet, I'd love to. Sorry I was so nervous that this might actually happen. I didn't know what to say when you texted. Anyway, if you want to meet, I'd love to see you. My heart sank. I burst into tears, and I took the first off-ramp, and through my tears, I looked up through the windshield as I was driving up the off-ramp, and I said, why, God? Why do I have to hurt so bad? Why does this keep hurting me? And I heard these words, son, I love you, and you are worthy of being mine. Your dad needs to know this. I walked into the coffee shop, and I waited until he arrived really nervously. And when he did, guess what? It wasn't awkward for even a second. I stood up. He looked exactly how I imagined he'd look after so long of not seeing him. And we came to each other, and I hugged him like a father hugs a son. And I held him, and he put his head in my neck. And he cried, and he wept. And he kept saying over and over again, my son, my son. I am so sorry, my son. You're my son. My son. I still feel today that although he was saying that out loud to me, that the Holy Spirit was declaring that over him. See, we can only operate as true sons and daughters of God when we firmly secure our power in the Holy Spirit. We see this perfectly in, in Luke, in Jesus' baptism and temptation in the wilderness. Although Jesus was led into the wilderness and tempted by Satan, he remained loyal to God the Father. According to Luke 3.22, God the Father said about Jesus, you are my beloved son, in you I am well pleased. Jesus had the Father's approval because of his complete obedience and submission to the Father. Jesus 
Obedience is emphasized through two phrases in Luke 4, verse 1. First, Jesus being filled with the Holy Spirit returned from the Jordan. Jesus was filled with the Holy Spirit, and being filled by the Spirit, he returned from the Jordan. There's an action. Secondly, verse 1 continues, and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. Because Jesus was filled and then led by the Spirit, he followed into the wilderness. This tells us that God the Father, through the Spirit, directed Jesus into the wilderness for the purposes of the tests to come. From his baptism onward, Jesus was continually filled because the path of obedience would prove to be difficult. He relied upon God's power through the Holy Spirit for the strength to obey. The coming tests and trials that Jesus was put through were an ultimate attack on his flesh or his body, his spirit. No, none of them. His identity. They were an attack on his sonship. Jesus knew that his sonship was secure. It was through that power that he was able to defend and guard against and push back the attacks of the enemy with the Holy Spirit. Church, the key to unlocking the freedom found in our sonship is that we need to submit to the Spirit in order to receive the power to push back the enemy, to say enough. I'll invite the band to come get ready for our, we're going to sing a song. I am able to give grace to my dad because of how God sees me how I witness the grace and forgiveness that I don't deserve reminds me that it is not mine to give. I am empowered by the Holy Spirit to do work that I am not capable of doing on my own. We've got to stop trying to fill in the blank solution to all of the troubles and struggles we face in our lives. We are not enough. That well will always run dry. God is the only supplier that we can receive all that we need from. And identifying yourself, finding your identity in him, securing your sonship and your daughtership is the only way that any of us can operate with the sort of abounding grace and peace that we need in our own lives. I couldn't have responded the way that I did with my dad if it were in my own strength. I would have been filled with so much anger and resentment the moment that he fell into sin again. But I love that I am not capable of this alone. I'm not. I'm not capable of doing anything truly redemptive on my own. But God is. See, when we find ourselves in the desertous seasons, in the wasteland moments, in the wilderness moments of our lives, being tested and tried beyond our capacity, beyond our ability, that's when we have to recognize that we need to call on the Holy Spirit. We need to call on the power that's available to us. We don't have to act in our own strength, but we can act in Christ's strength and overcome. Church, we have been given an inheritance. We have incredible authority because of that. Currently, my father is homeless somewhere in Toronto. I keep in touch with him once in a while. But he chose to continue to live a life of sin and turn from the support and network that we built for him when he returned. He entered the wilderness over and over and over again without the power of the Holy Spirit. So his sonship is constantly threatened. I want nothing more than to find him. I want nothing more than to chase him down. I still might someday. 
but I want to see him again desperately. And many people have asked me, why? Why would I do that? Why would I expose myself to being hurt again? Because I want him to know that there is life beyond sin. Yes, he may have struggled as a father and as a husband, but he is still a son of the king. You might be here today or watching online feeling the same way, feeling like you've grown so far apart from the person you thought you would be, and you're lost. I am standing here today to tell you that there is hope, that there is life found only in Jesus. Even if you don't believe in God, hear this, listen, if God did send his son for every person to cover all sins, to set us all free from a life of sin, then he certainly came for you. He certainly came for my dad. And he certainly came for me. That's hope. I was talking with my mom yesterday, and uh, she's incredibly wise. She always has something for me to take away from our chats, and she said something powerful to me. She said, Tyler, we have incredible will. We have an incredible will in us to want to do it our own way and not God's. But we have to lay that down. We have to give that up. See, what she's getting at is that we have to allow our mind to be renewed in order to look at things from the position and perspective of whose we are, that we are sons and we are daughters of the king, that our sonship is secure. If I could today, I would take those of you that are hurting like this by the face, and I would say, enough. Stop running. Stop running away. You see this broken kingdom around you? Do you see where it's got you? Allow God to intervene in your life, to connect to your heart, and to show you that there is peace and freedom found in Christ. You are not a victim of the world. You are a son and a daughter of God, each and every one of you. You are chosen, not forsaken. You are a child of God. We're going to sing a song that we're introducing for the first time here. It's called Run to the Father. And I love this song because it talks about continuing to run to the Father over and over and over and over again. Regardless of what we're facing and what we're going through in our lives, we've carried burdens, we've carried struggles, we've been through things that require the redemptive power of Christ. And we need to take it to him in order to fully understand who we are to be. Let's sing this together and then I'll close. I've carried a burden for too long on my own. I wasn't created to bear it alone. I hear your invitation to let it all go. I see it now, I'm laying it down, and I know that I Father, I fall into grace. I'm done with the hiding, the 
My soul needs a friend, so I'll run to the Father again and again and again and again. sonship, your daughtership is secured. It is secured in Christ. He chose you. He chooses you, and all you have to do is choose him. Let's pray together today. God, we come to you today, and we admit that we fail, that we struggle, but we don't have all the answers. But God, you tell us that that's okay. You lay a path ahead for us where all you ask from us is that we would submit to you, that we would submit to your will for us, God. So God, with our eyes closed today, I just pray for each and every person here 
God, I pray that they would know that they are loved. God, that there is peace and joy and hope found beyond their wildest expectations. God, so if anybody is dealing with anything today that they just want to give over to God, if you know Jesus already, but you want to continue to choose to submit to him and allow him to lead your life, would you just raise your hand today? Yes, 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 many hands, yes. Father, bless these people, God. Bless us, Father, as we try our best to live honorable lives, to live in a noble way, God, that honors and serves you, Father. Not out of a robotic way, God, not out of a uh, give everything over mentally, God, and just robotically function throughout our lives, God, but actively seeking and actively learning to know you more, God, to experience your peace and experience your freedom. If you don't know Jesus yet, and today you want to make a decision to follow him, would you raise your hand? Would you be bold enough and choose today, yes. Yes, I see that hand. Let's pray this out loud together, church. Dear God, thank you for sending your son. Thank you for choosing me, that I could have life, free from sin and shame, I need your forgiveness. Lead me in a new way and a new life. I love you, Jesus. Amen. Let's praise the Father this morning together. Church, if you want to go ahead and get your communion ready, I figured now would be the best time to do communion. On the night of Jesus' betrayal, he sat around a table with his friends with people that he had relationship with, with people that he was connected with. And he took the bread and he said, this is my body which is broken for you. Eat of this and remember me. Let's eat together. Following the bread, Jesus took the cup. And he held it high and he said, this is my blood which will be poured out for you. Every time you drink of this, remember me. Let's drink of this together. God is so good, church. So good. And he desperately desires us to understand that we are not only chosen, but that we are sons and we are daughters that are secure in Christ and that our, our inheritance is secure. Bless you as you go today. Bless you as you go throughout your week, knowing that your life makes an impact on the lives around you as you choose to submit to God and allow him to lead you through all of life's trials and tests. God is good. He is faithful and he loves you. Be blessed. Have a good Sunday, church.